This morning we continue on in the book of Acts, Acts 20, so please go ahead and turn there in your scriptures. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll have some people bring one by for you, and uh, we do have the text up on the screen today. As we continue on in Acts, we are in this book primarily because the Lord led us there, but I think primarily because of where we're at as a church and the beauty and the privilege to be able to look back into Scripture and say, this is how God conducted the church. This is how the church was in a healthy state, in a growing state, in a multiplying state. And so today I have the wonderful privilege of hitting one of those sections of Scripture that is, and so uh, we went over to Bob's house and Judy was there, and Cindy served some falafel, and uh, James left his map back in the Volkswagen, and that's about it, right? One of those whole things that's just you would skip over pretty quickly. But let's not skip too quickly. And I've seen some of you skip, so you shouldn't do that very quickly. We're going to get into the text this morning, and we're talking about teamwork. Multiply God's work on display and I'm borrowing this. It's not necessarily my, uh, my focus, my key focus. Uh, multiply is an idea that is uh, rampant within the evangelical free church. How many of you have invested somewhere so that you get uh, uh, your $1 turns into $2? Right? How many of you have invested somewhere where your $1 turns into $10? Now, I have a question for you. Which do you prefer? I'm not good at math, but I think you can figure it out. Thank you. Amen to that, sister. And that's exactly where we are in the scriptures this morning. But the idea isn't just the, the focus of addition. When you look at the growth of the early church, it multiplied. And there's a reason why. One of the big questions for you and I today is, these very components, these very works of God, are they still active today? Are they still happening? Is God multiplying out His church today in this way, in this fashion? This is going to be a very pragmatic message for us. It will apply to our personal walk with the Lord. It will apply to how we connect at church. And it will apply to how we connect at home. So let's get into the text this morning. We'll start with the first uh, three verses, let's say. This is a picture of teamwork. How many of you had these in your office somewhere? Right? Oh my goodness. The guy that made this, he multiplied his bank account. Right? All these like great pictures, you know, teamwork, leadership, all that stuff. Let's just move right past that. Because those things are just, you know, they are what they are. So let's look at the main passage today. Uh, and I have one through three, then we'll have four through six. And it says this, after the uproar ceased, the uproar being the one that was in Ephesus, we just got out of that in chapter 19, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Let me just click that forward. There he spent three months... And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter, the Berean, son of Piraeus, accompanied him. Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, Secundus and Gaius, uh, sorry, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Thank you. That really isn't necessarily the gift of tongues. It's just, it's what's in the text. I just want you to be aware. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. We've got Paul traveling to different cities. We've got the accounting of how many days we were in certain cities. It's like a cruise ship. Uh, uh, itinerary, and I'm gopher. I just realized when they put this thing around me this morning, I look like I'm supposed to be greeting you on Princess Cruises. <laughs> so welcome to your Tahitian vacation. But it's just an interesting passage. It's not one that 
necessarily we're going to stop and really pause and meditate here, right? But there's some depth here. There's some history here. There is an accounting here that tells an incredible story. And for us as a church, when we look back to the 52 years that this church has existed, there are many accountings that would be written out in a history. And as we continue in our path that God has for us, he'll continue to write those. Part of what needs to be in that is a similarity to how God grew the church in Acts. It's the same Lord. It's the same God. It's the same work. And oddly enough, when you look at people, it's the same people. So we can be inspired this morning as we move forward in looking at this very mm, particular piece of information that just seems like a cruise ship itinerary. And yet, at the same time, there's so much more here for us to look at. Number one, Paul multiplied leaders. Paul multiplied leaders. Some of Paul's leaders date all the way back to Antioch, Silas, Barnabas. Some are brand new, like Apollos or the Asians, the, the, the T brothers there, right? Paul developed leaders as a natural growth from his work in these cities. We're now on the third missionary journey. It's been 10 years from the first time that he was commissioned along with Barnabas and they struck out across the Mediterranean to do God's work. What has happened as a result of those 10 years? Tremendous things. Let's start talking about some of the cities that we've, we have uh, cruised into, if you will. Just start sharing. What do you remember? What cities? You can't get it wrong. Well, actually, you really could. But let, let's, let's give it a shot. Venice. No, but it's close. And if we were cruising, we would go to Venice. <laughs> Ephesus, yes, Ephesus. Philippi, Antioch. Athens. Derby. Wow, Derby. Coming from the jazz, uh, 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 what do you play? Drums. The jazz <laughs> drum player. Derby. That's really good. Jerusalem, Thessalonica, Troas. Now, how, some of you have been out on vacation. Some of you are going out on vacation. Can you imagine doing a loop like that? And, and you had to go by ship, or you had to walk it. There was no Uber, right? And so... What is the result? You come back from your vacations, you come back from your travel with stories. Paul is coming back with transformed lives. Paul is coming back with multiple leaders throughout the entire Mediterranean seaboard that he's been able to establish because of God's work and Paul following God's work. He's been able to see churches established in hostile territories. Some down by a river, right? In Philippi. Remember our little story about Lydia when the, when the city has posted on the city wall, no soliciting. Paul, stay out. So what's he going to do? He's going to find an, uh, another area to engage with individuals. Isn't it amazing where we've been in the book of Acts? Now remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus says these words. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? To the ends of the earth. In 10 years, what was considered the majority of civilization, Paul has covered, he could not do this on his own. He had to multiply leaders. And so on his third missionary journey, he's getting ready to return to Jerusalem but he wants to go back. He wants to intersect with these individuals that he has great connection with, that he longs to see, that, that he uh, is excited about re-engaging with. I share that same uh, uh, passion this morning and appreciation this morning 
as I'm walking up to the, the doors back here, and I intersect with a longtime ministry friend that I haven't seen for 12, 13 years, and my friend Roger, who served just across town with me down in Los Angeles at the other free church, he's up here with his wife, and he just looks on the internet for another free church. Came here this morning, had no idea I was a pastor. And what a great sense of joy that we got to connect real quickly. So we're going out to lunch. Y'all are going to do your own business meeting. Have fun with it. <laughs> but, but there is that sense, right, Roger, where, where you have had that relationship. And Paul says, I got to get back. I got to get back to these churches that were established and, and encouraged. And so let's look at that real quickly, can we? Because this is a leadership technique that Paul uh, espouses and one that that our leadership needs to espouse and demonstrate as well. And it happened, uh, I'm sorry, 20. And after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. All right? Those individuals that he has invested in that became believers in Christ and that are growing in their faith. These are the ones that will be left with the church at Ephesus. Eventually, Timothy, Paul's ward, part of his leadership team, becomes the lead guy there in Ephesus. But right now he gathers these disciples together and for what purpose? Because he's leaving. He's got to go and finish the work that God's called him to. So he gathers them together for what purpose? Encouraging. He seeks to encourage them and lift them up. This is one of our core values, edification. Then it says what? And he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much what? Encouragement. Now, what's interesting is, when Paul was in Ephesus, he wrote the letter to the Corinthians. And there are sections of that letter that don't seem very encouraging. Because they were struggling. They were a startup. Do you know what it was like in your first job? Forget your first job. How about the job you just started? And, and there's those challenges of trying to learn, and, and you kind of fall on your face a little bit. This is going to happen within churches. It's going to happen a lot in churches. And so Paul, when he's in Ephesus, he writes the letter to 1 Corinthians. When he ends up in Macedonia and, and up in Corinth, and he's actually meeting with these individuals, then he writes the letter to Rome. So while he's on these journeys, he's writing these letters that we hold value and are part of our scripture. So kind of connect those dots a little bit. He desires to encourage but it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians, he says to them, look, do you want me to come with love, or do you want me to come with a whip? Because there were some really challenging things that they were allowing to happen within their church. In this moment, what Luke chooses to, to write down for us, to digest, to learn from, is the leader needs to encourage the team. The leader needs to encourage the team. And we're going to translate that a little bit later on as we break down this whole idea of, of team. Let's continue on. Paul, Paul's team multiplies the ministry. His team multiplies the ministry. And so we see, as he moves from Ephesus, they're going to multiply that church out. He moves up through Berea, through Thessalonica. Those churches are growing because the team is following Paul's example, following the Lord's example. And so on and so forth, as you move up into Macedonia and you move up into uh, Persia and, and, and the churches in Asia Minor that he had established with the Lord's help and those multiplied leaders are now following the example and saying, we're going to multiply out the ministry. And it grows. And it grows. And we see all these different places. The, those that are from Thessalonica. We see those that are from Derby. We see those, uh, the drummers from Derby. We see those from Asia. We see... Uh, Philippi, what a beautiful statement concerning the results. Any of you results-driven? Right? I, I did a great level of encouragement on greeting people that were walking in today right before service. Some of my favorite people here in the entire church walking up. I was so excited to see them. I even put on this yellow thing. Actually, my daughter threw it over my neck. And I'm just greeting them and bringing up the back with someone carrying food. And I let it be known with my very soft tone, my very subdued manner, you are my favorite. 
because that is measurable. And then the other person like, I have a bunch of food in the car. I'm like, show me the food. Let's measure it. Because you'll, you'll, you'll measure it in about an hour and a half. You'll measure it. How many of you are into measuring things? Saying, this is what we accomplished. This is what we did. This is where we got to. And getting a sense of appreciation. When you partner with the Lord, when you team up with the Lord, those results often are immeasurable. Think about this just for a second. Actually, not for a second. Think about this for a lifetime. You are direct descendants of the very things we're reading about. If Paul doesn't make the effort to multiply leaders, the church fails. If those leaders fail to multiply the ministry, the church fails. And that brings me to my next point. I love alliteration. Multiplication is the mandatory method for masterful ministry. And I even capitalized every single M word. For your perusal, what on earth do I mean by that? Well, that's the, that's the prerogative of preaching, right? You say something so ambiguous, you can make it mean anything you want. No, there's some very specific things for us to look at here in the passage as far as how this works and how it is affected. By the way, when we talk about multiplying leaders, today, right after service, we have what we're calling a launch-slash-lunch party, and we're launching our 2020 vision. And part of that has a lot to do with new leadership and new teams that are going to be forming. Make sure you stay. Make sure you hear what's going on and, and get connected to that. There's a, a beautiful relationship to what God has for us in the text today, and what actually we will be doing in our meeting after service. So Paul multiplies, or Paul's team multiplies the ministry. Here's some questions before we move into the alliteration part. At CBC, how will we reach way beyond? If Paul reached way beyond the shores of Antioch, how are we going to do that? Let me do a little vision casting here for you. We're already doing it. It's already happening. If you live in Concord, raise your hand. Let's just have fun with this. If you don't live in Concord, raise your hand. Yeah. So 30% of people who are here right now today, because my data factors, I have Google glasses on right now, I was able to calculate exactly what the percentages were in real time. About 30% of you don't even live in Concord. And when you think about where our video ministry reaches to, uh, my brother-in-law showed me the analytics when he first started. We have people on the Ivory Coast watching our, our sermons. We have people in Hong Kong watching our sermons. In India. We are able, because of that technology, to, to go so many other places. Even more so, how do we do this? How do we reach beyond what we're currently doing or can do as a as a smaller church, I encourage you, I implore you to borrow some of Paul's words. Go into the fireside room today at some point and look at the new redesign on the missions board. You're saying, where is there a missions board? Walk through the door and turn to your right. That's our missions board. You can't miss it. And so we have a lot of new information that's on there for every missionary. And you're going to see that we're connected with taking the gospel around the world. Around the world. And I encourage you, contact us at the office and so we can pass on some of those newsletters that come from those missionaries. And you can see what we're doing, what we're supporting. I just heard from one of our missionaries today as he was in Iraq talking about how they set up churches in Iraq and they support, this is what we support, they support the training of pastors in Iraq. And they have an evangelical church that is thriving in Iraq. You are supporting that. And it is desperately needed. You want to talk about beyond borders? That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Paul's team multiplies the ministry. Here on our campus, we're going through changes. You're going to hear about that again in the business meeting. You see all the shameless plugs? I'm, I'm trying to really tease you into it. Uh, you're going to hear about things that are going to be happening on our campus. 
and, and you know, I already mentioned video ministry and, and missions, and that's kind of all I have time for now, but there are so many different things that are going on here. Paul's team multiplies the ministry. Yesterday, all of this was set up in here. Our nursery, our, our MR2 rooms are completely transformed for VBS this week. Your pastor did nothing but walk in here yesterday with his cell phone and a selfie stick and act like a bozo taking video of himself while everybody else is working. Brian's sweating. He's wearing the orange Caltrans vest, directing traffic everywhere. And, and all these individuals are working on putting a hut together and blowing up animals and making waterfalls. And, and what am I doing? Hi, world. How you doing? But the point of it was simply, I didn't have to do all this. It wouldn't look this good if I had to do all this. <laughs> Instead, we had a whole team that in actuality has been working all week. So what? So that the glory of God might become aware to children in our community this week. Amen? Amen. This is how we multiply ministry. We're following this pattern that, that God instituted and set up with Paul. We are following the Acts pattern. Let's get back to the alliteration, can we? Uh, I don't know what's going on here. I have to do this. Multiplication is the mandatory method for masterful ministry. What do I mean by that? You have to pick a direction to start walking. Have you ever been in that moment? You're in unfamiliar territory. Maybe you're on a tour or something. And, and you've got to pick a direction. You go into a museum... You've got to pick a direction. You come into my house, you don't have to pick a direction. There's like really only two ways you can go. Right, I guess you have to pick a direction. Spiritually, you have to pick a direction. Either you're choosing to follow yourself or the world, or you're choosing to follow Christ. And when we choose to follow our own agenda or the world's agenda, there are so many limitations and there are so many consequences. But on the front side, it looks pretty good. When we choose to start walking in this direction, all the events that are happening can multiply way beyond what we can do. We can build huts. We can make waterfalls. We can do that. We can never convince another person to see the glory of God. Only God can do that. But when we team up on that level, that's where we see the master at work. That is some measurable magnificence. That is what inspires. So I encourage you, pray for this ministry this week. Come support this ministry this week you'll you'll see who's running things in a little bit god determines the work and we join in with him everything you're going to see in the 2020 vision this afternoon is about what god is doing here and where he is taking us one of the things that's kind of exciting and because i'm the kind of leader that just turns my people loose but it i'm a little crushed a little crushed because my good friend Roger is here today and I wanted him to see our lights. But we covered our lights for a Tahitian vacation. Roger, behind this landscape that's so lifelike, we have these Edison bulbs hanging and they are really the evidence, the measurable evidence of ministry, of God's ministry here. And there, there are individuals in this room that some of those lights are lit for. Those lights get lit when the light of Christ comes into their life for the first time. Those lights represent a masterful ministry that can only be measured by the power of God. We look at these first six verses in chapter 20, and while on the surface it just looks like a cruise ship itinerary, when in fact... It is measurable, glorious testimony to God's work and how he built the early church. Does that excite you? It should. And what's going to happen here and how we're moving forward and how he's building this church, we do not do it in our own strength. We will do things to partner and to team up, but we will not team up without the Lord. Amen? 
And so just as Paul did, we will do. Just as Paul's team did, we will do and we'll continue to do. Let me break this down for you. Teamwork. Let's start at home. How do you create a team at home? Ecclesiastes speaks very clearly about this just in the sense of marriage. The return for two is better than one. The return for two is better than one. But have you ever been on a team where there's an individual that forgets that there's a team? And that kind of is destructive, is it not? It's interesting. I want you to compare tennis with soccer. Some of you out there opt for tennis, don't you? Mm, I fly solo. I like to control my own results. I'll live or die by my own hand. Now what's interesting about tennis is there isn't room for other people. And, and when you put two more people on that court, you have to widen the lines. But that's it. Max four. Some of you wish you had four, five, six, seven people on your side when you're facing certain people you're playing in tennis. Doesn't work. You can't do it that way. As a matter of fact, I encourage you, get your top seven athletes and put them all on one side and then put them against a decent tennis player and it'll be hilarious because you will all be falling and stumbling over each other. Those guidelines require it to be a one person versus one person. And there are many of us that like that approach. Can I just tell you that doesn't work at home unless you're flying solo and you live in an apartment. Then God has a very specific thing for you. You're playing tennis in, in his scope of, of ministry and life. If you're married, you're on a team. And functional, healthy teams work really well when they're well coached. And when each person knows their role in that team and functions in their roles. Does this make sense? When you see a team that works really, really well, as, as great as those individuals are, and, and I apologize to you, Damien, I know that you got LeBron on the Lakers this past week, but we really wanted to come right back at you, and uh, we signed DeMarcus, which who knows what that'll mean. But that could be an interruption of this team chemistry. You got four superstars on the Warriors, and yet they have to what? They have to learn how to work with each other, or it doesn't work. And we saw that this past year and this season, and they had to figure out who would back off a little bit so the other one could increase a little bit, right? And then there would be an acquiescence that would happen so that there's good chemistry and that team moves forward with joy and excitement. What about your marriage? You see, God called Paul to do an incredible work in establishing the churches, but he said, you're not going to go alone. You need help. You need partners that are not necessarily going to be lined up with your strengths. You have your strengths, Paul. I'm going to put other people on your team that have other strengths. And you need to work together. In your own marriages, do you work as a team? Because if you're not, it's like having DeMarcus Cousins and you're married to DeMarcus Cousins. Some of you are like, I don't get that. All right, let me translate for you. When you come together in marriage, if in premarital, somebody didn't talk to you about the fact that you're giving up a portion of your individuality, they did you no great service. That marriage is coming together as a team, and Scripture is correct, that you will, you will be able to do much more. The return will be much more, masterfully measurable more but only if you work together as a team. And that means, just like Paul talks to the Ephesians, we need to learn how to submit to one another and work within our roles. We have a beautiful picture of this as well in our relationship with the Lord, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I encourage you, create a team. If you have children at home, help them grow in being part of the team. Don't do everything for them. Help them be part of the team and help them understand how they're thriving and how they're important to the team. Not just, hey, take out the trash. Hey, just clean up your room. Hey, let me give you a project that affects the entire family. And let's see how you do with it. And I'll walk with you through it, but this is going to be you. And then you just applaud them. And you say, you really contributed to our family. 
you really helped us thrive. Think about a family that operates in that mode versus here's your list of things, make sure they're done before you go out and play or get on your phone, right? It's so important in our homes that we function under this idea of teamwork because then you multiply the memories and they're good memories. They're great memories. Wait till you have to go on vacation and let your child drive for the first time. You'll get some great memories. <laughs> the other children will be ashen white and have private conversations later about don't ever do that to me again or at least sign a waiver. Next. There we go. What about work? How about commending the team? We see here in the scripture how Paul went and his work was to establish these churches and he knew that he would need to encourage. Do you see that? He knew that one of the greatest things he could do as he was moving through and going back and returning to Jerusalem is to encourage. People thrive off of edification. We see that practiced in Jesus with his disciples. We see it practiced with Paul with the establishment of the early church and their leadership. I encourage you at your own work, at your own job, commend those around you for what they do. And if there's some tension there, it'll probably start to dissipate. It is amazing how encouragement and edification can turn around attitudes and make a team function really well. Really well. It's the difference between working in a toxic environment and working in a thriving environment, is it not? Now, oddly enough, this same thing can apply within churches. I know all of you think that Pastor Jeremy would be the best boss in the world to work for. And my staff would tell you that I am. <laughs> staff, you're all here. No amens? What's going on? Oh, okay, I, yeah, thank you. Uh, we call that pandering in the Greek. But churches often have to function as organizations as well. And so it's challenging. It's very, very challenging. But I will tell you, the one way that, that really helps us pull together as a team is when I encourage you guys. When I make mention of all that's going on. The 20 or something people that are serving already around here today so that we can have a thriving uh, time of worship in our message today. Try commending the team at work and see if you don't get multiplied results. Next, church, commit to the team. Commit to the team. Now, here's a glorious thing. We are now down to about 10% of our seats being open. At 10.05, we had about 50% of our seats open. If, you, if we committed like that, see what I just did? I just talked about encouraging y'all, and then I, I was going to throw y'all under the bus. No, I'll just change it to general terms, because at least you guys are here today, right? Uh, if we committed in our jobs the way we commit to sometimes showing up late to service, what would happen? And yet we say, God is really important in my life. Let me just tell you, when someone walks in for the first time, we have some first-time visitors today. Um, if you're a first-time visitor today, I am very stoic. I'm a very straight-laced person. Um, I think sarcasm is a sin. And um, <laughs> so is lying. <laughs> there was a joke in the middle of that. Sarcasm is a sin. Yes, kind of got it. No, I, I like... I like breaking down the institution because I don't see that in Paul's church, in Christ's church. I don't see it in the Acts church. If I had my way, we'd meet in a circle. I hate the stage. I hate the separation because that's not how God designed things. But this is how we function. So if you're new today, 
Pastor Jeremy likes calling out the elephant in the room. And the reality for us when we talk about committing to the team is that when new people come to something that we have scheduled and there's such low attendance at the very opening, what do you think that that says to the people that are visiting? Hmm, there's not a lot of interest around here in much. The people here really aren't excited about what's going on. Now, some of you are getting really tense, and you're saying, Pastor Jeremy, we need to go back to that encouragement point. <laughs> Here's my challenge to you. We need to commit to the team because we are the team. We need to be to practice on time. We need to execute our role well. We need to be prepared as we come to be involved in between those lines. We're not playing tennis, folks. Sometimes when you get into one-on-one -on -one encouragements, yeah, you're, you're between those lines. We're more like playing soccer, okay? And, and we have to function as a team. We have to know our roles. And, and if, if our strikers are missing, we're going to exit early, just like Egypt. Oh, I'm so sorry, Hanny. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> hey, you made it. We didn't. We didn't even make it. The challenge for you and I is, to, well, let me, let me pick here. You have a hundred voices screaming for your attention. You have a hundred voices, and it's all appropriate for them to scream for your attention, your time, and your money. You're barraged with it so much that it becomes white noise. But when the church says, hey, we need to be committed to the team, the world has taught you to say, well, that's manipulation and guilt. No, it's not. It's the people that you're connected with on a team saying, we need to be the team. And if somebody comes and starts distracting you from the team, we need to say, hey, we miss you. Be in that thing that you're committed to. I'll move on to the last point. You and God. You need to coalesce the team. You need to bring that team together on a daily basis. Here's something fascinating when you think about multiplication and teamwork. We actually have a beautiful example of this with God himself. I think... I, the Lord your God, am. Okay, you can't fail this test. Actually, you can, so I'll finish it for you. What'd you say, Hanny? One, right? And this, herein lies the tension to understanding the Trinity. Because God has manifested himself, he has multiplied himself out as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? Why not just stay one? But he has set forth, I, I agree, he did. Somebody said he did. He did. But why not just be the father then? Why not just be the father? Why not just be the senior pastor? That's all you need is the senior pastor. Please hear me clearly. I am not comparing myself and you guys to the Trinity. I want you to see the example that God has set. We don't clearly understand why he has set that example, but he has. The fascinating part about the Trinity is simply this. God has in a certain way, and go with me on this because I know this all gets complicated. You've all studied the Trinity, and you're going to know, I'm not going to go with the egg. I'm not going to go with the water and the steam. Okay, just everybody relax on that level. But God has diversified himself for his glorious purposes to be as complete as possible with the plan of redemption. So, how do we look at that? Let me break it down as, as simply as I can. You have the Father who's the planner. As a matter of fact, I think I have something on this. You have the Father who's the planner, the designer, the authority. These are not complete lists. I'm just helping you see all right, how, how the Trinity works in the sense of multiplied effort by God's design and plan. 
He functions as planner, designer, authority, and so much more, but there you go. Son is a creator. And, and I remember learning this in, in Bible college and looking at Colossians 1. I always was under the un- understanding that it was God, as I see God the Father, that was, you know, and God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1 helps us understand that it was Christ that functioned as the creator. Christ is our Redeemer. God set forth that plan, but Christ executed it because Christ we are redeemed. Not the Holy Spirit, not the Father. They're working together, but on the ground, feet on the ground, and he functioned in a ministry manifestation as an example. He came as a servant. What about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the initiator. When you first come to Christ, it is the Holy Spirit through the Word of God speaking to you that your eyes are opened so that your heart can truly see the beautiful and the magnificent grace of of God and the truth of who God is. The fact that, that I'm a sinner and that separates me from God is a hard thing. It's not part of my natural state that I want to agree with that. So I need some convincing. If I just review over yesterday, I'm convinced. Then the next part of this is understanding in faith that therefore I need saving from something. That there is more than this life. There is eternal life. There is a benevolent God that cares for me. He is the creator of all things. The authority over all things. And because of His love, I was lost to sin and death because of my sin. He made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so He sent His Son that we might be saved. His Son came, suffered, died on the cross, shed His blood as a one-time payment for sin. And Scripture says that at the right moment, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth of that Gospel. And it becomes irresistible in responding to it. And therefore, we become saved. All three of that team are at work in your salvation. Isn't that amazing? God reveals Himself even as a team. For you and I, we should be interacting with God on all of these platforms and so many more. We should see ourselves as a team with our Lord and Savior, just like Paul did. He is our what? Our coach. He is our coach. And we're here to do the bidding of the coach so that that ministry is multiplied. Let me finish up today with this. What about multiplication at CBC, the practicum? Well, is faith being multiplied at CBC? I believe so. We have some lights behind us that show that. But not just that, there's growth going on within the body. There are people that are getting involved in ministries that they've never done before. And and there's growth in that, which is absolutely fantastic. We had a whole crew of people here last weekend with a work day and, and with a parking lot sale for the youth. Then yesterday we had a whole crew that was here working on all of this and, and over in the other room. We'll have a whole crew here during the entire week that the message of Christ would go out to the children of our community. Tremendous. What about fellowship? How many of you have fellowshiped with anybody from this church this past week? Raise your hand. Now, That, according to my Google glasses, was about 19.8%. About. This is something that your church leadership sees as deficient. And yet when I gathered with a core group of our people, they said one of the best things about this church is that it feels like coming home. We need to make sure that extends to as many people as possible. And so, again, shameless plug for the 2020 vision meeting, you're going to hear how we have structured things, we're restructuring things, so you have more opportunity to move into those moments. One of the greatest things that has been happening is a couple within our church has sacrificially taken out families right after church, brand new families. So if you're brand new here today, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you what has happened is that there is a family that just grabs up new folks and takes them out to lunch and connects with them that way. What if we multiplied that out? What if we had three families do that right after service? 
What if all of you reached out and invited someone to lunch? As a matter of fact, I'm going to pay for your lunch. I am. As a matter of fact, we'll all pull together and we'll set up tables right here. How about we do that? As a matter of fact, I'm going to really double down on this. I'm going to multiply it out. You're all invited, and we, we're going to bring food for everyone. We're going to have a great time next week. Why don't we start connecting with people and just inviting them over for lunch, planning ahead, connecting on that fellowship level. We need to make that effort. We have about four to five families that do a great job of that here at this church. That needs to multiply, does it not? It needs to multiply. Children's ministry. Well, what do I need to say about that? You're seeing the results of it. We don't just have one children's director, we have two. And I'm hitting this clicker multiple times. Children's ministry, fantastic. We just were blessed to see CJ come on for youth ministry, and that's fantastic. And then equipping, we're going to be doing some things coming up in about uh, four weeks that you're going to hear about in, shortly. Um, missions, outreach. Uh, let me speak to the issue of giving because I rarely, rarely do. You know why? Because I'm really scared about it. And when you speak about giving, people leave. And, and so it really intimidates me to talk about giving. You know what's fascinating about this trip is Paul has a bunch of people with him. Some commentators believe that he has all of these individuals with him because of accountability. One of the reasons is that he's gathered and garnered an offering. And we've heard about that in, in some of the letters that he's written. Jerusalem was in a, in a very, very difficult time as a church, and there was a famine going on, and they were struggling. And so Paul writes to these churches, and he's, he's talking about, why don't we together, since they sent us and we helped establish, why don't you, under the Lord's guidance, give a free will offering and we can, in turn, help support them as they have supported you. And so part of the thinking by some commentators is that rather than Paul just carry all that money on his own, that Paul had individuals traveling with him for a sense of accountability so it wasn't just him handling money. Pretty wise, right? Fascinating little tidbit about why we have so many people involved here in his trip back to Jerusalem. This stuff... The lights, the facility, all of this requires money to make it happen. But there's no Spirit of God involved in, in this. I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on your hut. There's no Spirit of God involved here. The idea that we give to the Lord is so that the Lord can use His money and multiply out that ministry. Hopefully today you're encouraged, whether it's as I'm wrapping up the sermon, you're encouraged in this, you're encouraged by the, by the singing, you're encouraged by the scripture that we're in, and it encourages and lifts your soul and helps you get closer to the Lord. That happens because, why? Because we have a place to meet. There's money to pay for the electricity, there's salaries that are being paid, there's missions that we're supporting there's a children's ministry that we're helping carry along for this, this coming week. Now the challenge in all that is, are we helping participate? You're going to hear coming up in that 2020 vision where we need to get to in the future with our giving. Let me say this. I, if you didn't catch it, I was being very sarcastic about me speaking about giving. The beauty of, of what happens here at, at CBC is that our people are well grounded in understanding what giving is about. And they participate together under the Lord's guidance, not under any manipulation. And we see Paul writing to this Corinthian church saying that what? Don't give under compulsion. There's no compulsion. We're not going to guilt you into giving. Now, if it dips below our budget levels, we're going to bring out the plates and we're going to record. Everybody that's, that's <laughs> now that's manipulation. We're not doing that. The idea is that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. But the other part that fits in there is, are we part of the team? One of the biggest ways that we become part of the team is ownership. As we're scholarshiping kids to camp, 
No kids getting scholarship outright without participating in earning something because it gives them ownership over it. It helps them feel more connected and tied into everything. Does that make sense? The same thing applies with our teamwork with giving. And then facility, again, there's so much that's changing here and, and what's going to happen with the modulars. We're, we're rejoicing with the school that they are, now I can say this officially, uh, that they have officially signed a lease at Holy Cross Lutheran Church and they have a home. So we are just so thankful. We are now in the process of figuring out what's going to happen with uh, the modulars. And so again, come to the meeting. You're going to hear a report on that. Let me close with this statement this morning. It's a great statement. It was so great, we just went right by it. I'm just going to read it off my notes. <laughs> and then I'm going to say, um, teamwork, we need to replace the batteries on this thing. Uh, As believers in Jesus Christ, we are direct descendants of the early church and the multiplying ministry of Paul and his team. May it not stop with us. Amen? Amen. Let me uh, pray over our continued worship today, and I'm going to have the uh, music team come on up, and we're going to move together in rejoicing and praising God in, in reflection to what the Spirit and the Word has given us today. Let me go ahead and, and pray over our, our absorption of what the Scripture has given us and then the blessing upon moving into active participation and engagement in music and worship. Father, we ask that you would take these words, encourage us, help us understand that we function as a team, that we are an extension of the very passage we're reading, that if it wasn't for the multiplying efforts of uh, your work through Paul, there's a good chance we don't even exist. But you set the pattern. You involve the people. You didn't call upon just one person. You multiplied out your church. And you fulfilled the promise and the prophecy given to Peter when it was stated the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Father, we rejoice for your work within our local body and for all the churches around us, your work in the kingdom, that it would increase and be made manifest through multiplying out your message. Give us a heart of one accord as we sing and give you praise this morning. Amen.